And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of JMU Sound Off. I am Jonathan McNamara. This week, Sans producer, so doing not only the hosting, but doing the driving of the broadcast. So right off the top, I ask for your patience if uh, if we have some issues getting some people into the broadcast tonight. But we do have a great show uh, for you tonight. We're going to have Trevor Mueller from 4th and Inches Podcast to talk about JMU's new transfer quarterback, Dylan Morris, coming from Washington. Good conversation there to let fans know a little bit about their new quarterback. We also have Nate Hayden on to come and give us a little bit of insight into uh, what's going on with students on campus as we start second semester at JMU. And then we're going to bring in Ian Caskell uh, to talk a little men's and women's hoops action with some lots to talk about on both sides of the ball. And with that, we're going to bring in our other co-hosts. But as always, want to thank our sponsors, the Montpelier Collective. We still have a great uh, opportunity for all fans of JMU to engage with a unique Play, uh, opportunity to be a coach for the day. Uh, that experience is still available on MontpelierCollective.com. So get your raffle tickets, um, enter in for a chance to win that coach's experience for the game coming up against ODU. Uh, and as always, our friends from Skyline Financial Partners, we appreciate your support because both of you, they were able to put this show on each and every week. And with that, we'll bring in Taylor and Steve. Um, guys, you had an opportunity yesterday to go up to Harrisonburg uh, with Michael to experience the game at the Atlantic Union Bank Center as the Dukes do drop a uh, tough one to our rivals at App State. Um, just right off the bat, Taylor, your uh, thoughts on the crowd yesterday, the third largest uh, in JMU history at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. Um, obviously, all of us wanted to see a win, but uh, a great game against a team that obviously we're going to be battling with on, on not only the hard court, but the football field and every other um, sport on campus as this rivalry continues to, to heat up between the two um, proud institutions. Yeah, it was a great game. It was a great atmosphere. You mentioned the attendance, the, the third largest ever in the Atlantic Union Bank Center, the second largest this year. Um, I want to give a lot of credit to JMU, uh, their sports marketing for it was Duke Dog Reading Day. So for those of you that don't know, there's a program within some of the local school systems where kids have a chance to go for for free. Their parents come. And so you did have a lot of uh, community members in the building that day. And it was good because, uh, you know, with these JMU students are coming back to school uh, this week. So you still had some, maybe some students come in early for it. We did have a good student section. I feel behind one of the baskets, uh, the other basket mix of students and some of the community members in the general admission section. But Jamie did a good job of knowing this was a game that was important to have a big crowd and kind of working in that community event aspect where, uh, where people came in. So the, the crowd was electric. It was loud in there. There are multiple videos that I kind of took with my camera phone just to show off how, how great the atmosphere could be. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it was tough to lose the way we did. It was tough to lose who we lost to. And it's really tough uh, for a team that went out, uh, started out 15-0, and 0, and now has gone 1-2 and 2 in their last three games. Um, you know, these, these conference games are going to be really important. I make this, I, I emphasize this every week, that to those in the Shenandoah Valley, um, we need you to come out and support the local team to the alumni that have not been back. We need to get you out there to the students more than ever. We're going to have Nate Hazen in to talk a little about the pulse on the, the, the campus with the students here coming up. But it's just so important to have these amazing crowds at the Atlantic Union Bank Center moving forward this year, because unfortunately, uh, the Sun Belt is significantly weaker as a conference in, in, in their net score. Uh, which means we cannot afford to lose many games and still have any type of consideration for an at-large if we were to not win the Sunbelt Championship. And I would uh, urge people, speaking of the Sunbelt Championship, to start looking at some opportunities to go down to Pensacola. Uh, I myself did not go down last year, but I've spoken to a lot of people that did. 
Uh, they said it was a great environment, a great trip. Everyone said they highly recommended going again. So I will be heading down there this year. But, you know, look into an opportunity to go down there again. They have both the men's and women's uh, teams down there. So it's a really great time. But as for the game yesterday, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk with Ian about this a little later. But it just seemed to me from a purely fan perspective. So I know some of the players and coaches listen to this and um, I respect their <laughs> ability to disagree with anything I'm about to say. But they jumped out to a 26-10 lead. And I think a lot of that, from my perspective, is I'm maybe saying this with purple tinted sunglasses. We seem to be the superior team skill wise, athletically. I mean, we were top 25 team in the country for most of the season. And it kind of felt like the players knew that as they were playing. And there was a little bit of lack of fundamentals maybe in the beginning. But what really got us rallied back, and we were down 16 points there in that first half. And I think we cut down the lead to five at halftime was. You saw them, you know, coming out of a timeout from Coach Byington, come back, play their brand of basketball, how they've been coached, how they play. And um, they got back just doing things the way they know how to do them. But then what I saw in the second half is there seemed to be a lot of hesitancy at times and a lot of, uh, you know, whether it was fear to take the open shot or fear to get getting down low and, and, and going up strong instead of passing out. It just seemed like once we got back to where we were about to win the game, it was more about wanting to win, but we were kind of scared to lose. And that's not to discredit any of the players out there who I say this every time when fans want to criticize the team or the coaches, I promise you that there was no one in that building more than the players and coach Byington and his staff that wanted to win that game. So there's no fan that wanted to win it more. And those guys really gave it their all. Um, but it just, uh, it, it came down to a couple shots at the end. We missed them. I'm looking forward to app state in two weeks on national TV down in Boone and I really hope we see them in the Sunbelt Tournament because I would love to play that team three times this year. So, Steve, what do you got? Well, I'll just say this real quick. I think quick, we though. may need to – Well, real well, one thing on that game, though, it, the, the reason, again, we we after the loss to App State in football is how great is it to have rivalries again with programs that are truly unequal, that are going to push us. We, we, we obviously knew that was going to be the case in football. And now we're seeing it on the hard court and what they're doing to push us in basketball. I think that's what made that atmosphere so great. Um, the social dialogue afterwards, we saw a lot of trolling from App State fans. Um, that's what you want in a rivalry. Um, so hopefully that continues to, to be the case. As I know I know going into this conference, pretty much all of us listed App State as the program we were the most excited uh, to be a part of in the same conference. Uh, and the fact that that's not only limited to football and is going to actually play out in basketball and other sports, um, I think it's going to just be one more thing that we all like about the Sun Belt. Uh, and it's something that's really strong for both schools. Because uh, again, we're going to have games and we're going to have you know magical wins that we're going to talk about for years. We're going to have games that we're going to lose to this program. And those are the games that we're going to all be talking about for a long time. And um, that's what's great about rivalries and that's what makes it fun. So um, that was great to see on display and, and kudos to everyone who made the trip up to Harrisonburg for a big crowd. Um, Steve, I see you're smiling probably for a lot of reasons your commanders um look like they're going to name a coach and and i see from the reflection in your window you might be watching another game that's on the tv um what's on your mind before we uh, we get to our first guest well it's been, it's been a wonderful uh sunday afternoon started about uh 4 45 ish um and it uh, just ended uh just a couple minutes ago when the um america's team the dallas cowboys got their ass kicked once again in the playoffs, and you can count on it just like you can count on January 1st coming, people, every year. Dak, playoff Dak will be back, and you will watch that team tank. 
So it is such a wonderful thing. It's like watching a car wreck in NASCAR. Nobody gets killed, but you're really enjoying watching them getting banged up. And this was such a wonderful afternoon. Um, but what's not what we're here to talk about? Here to talk about JMU. Um, I agree with the atmosphere yesterday. It was good. I talked with an App State fan uh, before it started and um, welcomed him to the AUBC because um, I always do that when I talk to folks. And he was very complimentary and said, hey, I was up here in the fall. Um, your stadium's outstanding. He said, this basketball arena is unbelievable. I said, this will be a tough game today. I said, you know, God only knows how this is going to come out. And he goes, this is what we were hoping for when you guys came to the conference. And that made me happy. And I said, you know, you guys already had good teams. He goes, no, not at this level. This is what we wanted. We were looking, you guys, Marshall, um, you know, the Georgia, he said, Georgia Southern doesn't count. We don't count those people um, or Coastal, which I think is great. And um, he was just really complimentary. And they brought a nice group of people. Um, there was a decent sized group of people trying to start their app state cheer or chant, um, near the end of the game. So I got to look at the calendar and see if there's any way we can get down to Boone. I'm not sure if we can in January, but I'd like to, but really happy, not happy about the loss. Um, agree with Taylor said I was disappointed a little bit. And again, this is the fan in me, not the player. And I hope that the, the players and the coaches don't take this the wrong way. Um, you know, I was hoping we would take it up a little harder at the rim. Um, now the, they were not, this is how these games are going to get called. We got to get used to how they're going to call these games. And, you know, they weren't calling the walks. There were five walks that I counted on app state. They're not going to count those. They're not going to call them. Uh, they're going to let you hit. They're going to let you be hit. Um, and it seems like whenever we do something, we get called on it and they don't, but at the end of the day, you got to shake that off. And I'm hoping that now that we've had two of these games where, you know, we've been kind of punched a little. I have a feeling this coach, this coaching staff and these players are now going to rally out of that. And I think you'll see kind of a different style in a little bit, a little tweak style. Um, and that's what I think we'll see. This is a very talented team. This JMU team is the best and the most talented team in the Sun Belt. Um, but you can't read your own press clippings and we don't play these things on paper. Um, and who cares that ESPN says you're favored by six? None of that stuff matters. So at the end of the day, we're going to make a run. Let's go on our next big run right now. Let's uh, think about winning one in a row, and then let's start stacking it on. So I have all the confidence in the world that these guys are going to put it together. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. And we'll get back to basketball uh, in a minute. But one of the news items that has caught the attention of the JMU universe uh, over the last couple of weeks is the news that we have a new transfer quarterback. Uh, and when we were putting together uh, a list of potential guests, once we heard this news, uh, there was no one better than to bring into this discussion than somebody from Washington who knows a little bit about our transfer quarterback, Dylan Morris. And that is Trevor Mueller. Trevor, uh, I think it's it, what you said it was 20 degrees there. You look like it's 20 below zero, but that's because you're in your uh, your garage braving the elements for us tonight. Um, first of all, congratulations on the news uh, of your university. It looks like naming a, a new coach to lead your proud program. Uh, first of all, the purple and gold looks good on you. Um, <laughs> and that's something we share, but uh, two programs with storied traditions um, and, a, and two programs that had an awesome season this year. Uh, so congratulations on all of your success. Um, we, we've also been through some of the same challenges, having uh, a coach leave our program that, that we thought wouldn't leave, you know, players who we thought were committed, decommitting and going somewhere else. So um, lots of lots of shared experiences from, from our two fan bases. But um, for starters, first of all, introduce yourself in your podcast um, and then give us a little bit of insight uh, into Dylan, the person. I, I know in our pre-conversation, you were really highlighted. Um, and then I know some of our, our, our other hosts are going to ask you about some football questions. But 
Um, one thing that's come through in, in a lot of the articles is just how good of a guy um, Mr. Morris is. And, and in our fan base, you said, is going to be quite happy with, with the person that's coming um, to the East Coast. Um, so, yeah, give us your thoughts just again on, on your podcast and, and who we're getting in Dylan Morris. All right. Thanks for having me. Also, that T-shirt you're wearing is unbelievably cool. And you can get that at jamusoundoff.com. So we appreciate the endorsement. You're checking. Oh, looks like I know where I'm going after this. Uh, my name is Trevor Mueller. I host a podcast, Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. Um, we have, It's me and my best friend, Jake. And then we've uh, brought in a, a couple of other Husky fans that have become friends, uh, members of the media, Coach V and UWN. You know, we are affiliated with realdog.com. And that's where I do my writing as well. Uh, Dylan Morris. <clears throat> You guys are going to fall in love with Dylan Morris. Uh, he is a lifelong Husky. Uh, his He was a four-star guy, but grew up, you know, just a few miles from Husky Stadium. He went to Graham Kapowson. Um, was always uh, always going to be a Husky. His, his family goes to games, our season ticket holders. We've seen him at, uh, we've seen him in Colorado. We've seen him in Arizona. They travel well. He's just an absolute uh, gem of a person. He bleeds purple and gold. Uh, after he's done leading you guys to a successful season, he's going to probably transition into a coaching role. He just knows the game of football really well. He's the hardest worker you're going to have, uh, and he's going to be a fantastic teammate. Trevor, um I guess I kind of have two questions for you because uh, at, at JMU and, and I know the way we kind of came to know each other is we, I saw you quote tweet about uh, Dylan Morris when he announced he was transferring to JMU and you said, well, I've just become one of the biggest JMU fans. And so that says that said a lot about who he was as a person to see someone in your position, you know, as a member of the media kind of saying that just that alone would make you cheer for another team. So yeah. Um, you did kind of touch on him as as the person, as uh, would you maybe even say he was kind of like another coach on the staff this year, you know, a, in his role. Um, but kind of talk a little bit about the relationship he had with Penix and when that transition happened, when Penix came to took it, took his job. And uh, I shouldn't say take his job. I mean, he won the job between between the two of these guys. He was brought in for that purpose. But um, love to hear about that. And then just kind of talk about what kind of quarterback you think that we would see with him. What are his strengths, weaknesses, and things that uh, define him in, his, in that position? So to start off, you're never the entire fan base uh, of Husky football is going to be James Madison fans. That's how uh, much of an impact that Demo had on us. Um, like I was telling you guys before, there was three quarterbacks that were kind of all lumped together. They're all four and five star guys. There was Jacob Sermon, there was Demo, and then a Husky legacy with a uncle and a dad who played not only very well at the University of Washington, but in the NFL in Sam Heward. Demo was kind of one of those guys that was kind of pushed to the side. And when I, I was on a pregame show getting ready for that first COVID season game, and the report came out that Dylan was going to be the starter. I was shocked. And that season we got to see, you know, his moxie, the way that he plays the game. Um, he's, he's got a really, really good arm. He's got a really good deep ball. He throws the ball extremely hard. He'll try to fit it into windows sometimes that he couldn't as when he was younger. Um, but, you know, looking at him as a quarterback, when Penix came in, 
it was clear that th- there was a there was an actual uh, quarterback uh, competition. It was between Sam Heward, Michael Penix, and Dylan Morris. And Dylan Morris looked better than he did because the fact is we had John Donovan, who was you know previously at Penn State, uh, one of the worst offensive coordinators in the history of the game, uh, destroyed. Uh, any confidence that Dylan had in himself and just under Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, you saw a new quarterback that had that confidence that he had had in 2020 that he didn't have in 2021. And, you know, they made it sound like it was a close competition, but the reality is when you bring in somebody like Michael Penix, he's going to get the nod and he embraced his role as the backup uh, as a guy who understood the game at an elite level uh, and worked with Michael to be, become the the best version of Michael Penix that he could. And the relationship that those two have, the close-knit relationship that they have, uh, transcends football. And, you know, when when this was announced, uh, Michael, it's the only time I've seen it where Michael made his own post thanking Dylan for what he had done. That speaks volumes. I mean, just something like that. Um, the one thing I did want to follow up with uh, – when a lot of JMU fans found out about Dylan Morris, of course, they start to research and see, you know, what, what his stat lines and stuff look like. You know, there's not a lot of com- uh, common opponents that us in Washington share, but as a transitional FCS program, uh, we a lot of people did key in on the game that he seemed to have the most struggle with uh, in, in terms of turnovers and interceptions was the Montana game. Yeah. Before we went on air today, you were talking about a little bit not so much him, the player, but maybe the system was he was in. Can you maybe kind of dive into that a little more about where some of those, uh, you know, stat lines don't really tell the whole story? Excellent observation. Uh, that that Montana game was probably the lowest of the lowest in the Washington program, and he was the one that had to be the quarterback. Uh, when Chris Peterson left, who had recruited him, Jimmy Lake took over, and Jimmy Lake was an ace recruiter on the defensive side of the ball, co-defensive coordinator that uh, also coached cornerbacks that you're watching in the NFL right now, namely Trent McDuffie. Um, He brought in John Donovan who had struggled at Penn state and they decided to run an archaic offense that focused on ball control. So they tried to be what Stanford was under Jim Harbaugh without the athletes to do what Jim Harbaugh Stanford teams did. So what you got is offensive linemen who were very overweight, not athletic, that were turned into NFL players under this new coaching staff. So not only did Dylan Morris not get the line that he should have as a as a as a quarterback, but they also ran these, you know, halfback halfback power plays up the middle with a fullback without the the proper roster to do it. And so we're seeing a lot of third and nine situations where teams could key back on him and, and really take advantage. And the, the organization at that point where Dylan Morris was the starting quarterback was one of the most tumultuous times since Washington went Owen 12 in 2008. Uh, yet he battled, he continued to uh, go out there continued to look uh, positive and confident in, in the media as things were falling apart around him and, and really, you know, culminating in that loss to Oregon where they're down eight 
on a fourth and fourth and 11 close to their own goal line with, you know, this clearly was going to be the last possession and the coaching staff decided to punt and Dylan braved that stayed in the program and is viewed as maybe one of the best Husky players, one of the most loved Husky players that didn't, you know, start for four years or have a ton of success while he was the starter. We've gone through this at JMU. So you'll, (laughs) this is kind of an interesting um, play with Demo coming because in our 2004 championship run, when we won the title, we had a starting quarterback, uh, Matt Lazat, that was beaten out by a transfer from Louisville, um, Justin Riscotti. And Justin mm-hmm. led us to the title, and Lazat backed him up and did nothing but support him and yes. back him up. In the in the poster we have in the football office or in the football um, in our in our facility, the Plecker facility, is Matt Lazat running out with the team um, at that tooth, and he wasn't even the starter. And that's the picture we have. So it's kind of an interesting piece with Demo coming back, coming our way. And I was going to ask you, tell us a little bit about his football IQ. Um, You said he's, you know, one of the hardest workers, uh, fantastic teammate. You know, can you give us a little bit of insight in his IQ? You said he throws the ball hard and fits it into windows. But tell us a little bit more about, you know, how bright he is, how smart he picks up defense, some, some of that football IQ stuff. So a lot of it's behind the scenes, right? Because we haven't seen him play for the last two seasons outside of some, uh, some mop up duty at times. And, and, and one situation where he came in when Penix was hurt and delivered, he, he had a third and long situation, got the first down before Mike came back in. Um, what you hear every single coach, every single player that's been around him is he's a future coach. He understands the game. He understands the coverages. He's going to be a quarterback's coach once he's done. And you've seen the development even in the little bit. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to go to practices that are open only to the media. And I've gotten to watch how much better he was uh, from 2021 till now. Uh, And it's the way that he reads coverages. It's the way that he moves in the pocket. He's fixed his – and it goes down to fundamentals. He's – when he was the starter, he had kind of a low trajectory and got a lot of balls batted down. He's moved that arm slot up a little bit, uh, which has allowed him to get over those defensive line hands. Um, he's reading coverages, uh, I think, better than he did, even with you know the little bit of time he's gotten. The interception he had this year was off a true, true freshman hands for a touchdown into the waiting arms of like a, a linebacker or something. So we're talking about a guy who in the little bit of time that we've seen him play still has all the confidence that he had, but he's been taught the position and uh, him and him and Mike especially have gone through game tape and dissect it together. So that's kind of what you're getting as uh, just a student of the game. Wow. So, I mean, a true coach on the field, somebody that's yes. had two years to help Michael Penix, but and not in a in a um not in a rival role, but in a true teammate role. If I'm going to help us get to the national championship, and that's my contribution is to help support you and get you there. Um, that takes a special young man because I can tell you, if I were that age, I'm not sure I would have it. I'm not sure I have it now at 61 <laughs> um, to be able to do to be able to do that because that takes a special it takes a special guy that really does put team over individual. Um, and that's where I could see where he would fit with our coaching staff and coach Chesney. And that's why I think this is really going to be a special year. Um, we may be out in Washington playing in the first round of the college football playoffs next year, which would be kind of a blast. 
to come out that way and have him play um, in Husky Stadium with you guys. And we all show up in our white. You guys are in your purple and we have a blast. Now, that would be amazing. And you would have a lot of got people in purple and gold, ex- regardless of what happens, extremely proud of Dylan Morris, the person and Dylan Morris, the stud quarterback. God, that's great. Well, we root for you guys. I'm telling you, I root for you guys all the time. The only time I rooted for Oregon was when they beat the ever-living hell out of Liberty, um, who should have <laughs> never been in the Fiesta Bowl to begin with. Agreed. But that's the only time I ever or I ever root for anything that has a duck on it. Um, I always root for the Huskies. And so, you know, you guys will always have us rooting for you guys all the time. Oh, well, I appreciate it. And you're going to love his cannon. Uh, Thanks, Trevor, man. before we before we let you go, I do I do want to ask you just uh high level because I mean, it's a it's a topic that that I think fans of just sports and, and college football in general. Um, your thoughts on your tr- transition now away away from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten and everything that comes with it, just uh, kind of high level. How has that been received by your fan base? Because obviously there is a lot of uh, love for for the rivalries and things that that existed in your previous conference, but to make this move and in, into the the highest of highest levels now uh, of the sport, it, it has to be exciting in that regard as well. It really is. It, the first part of it is definitely mourning the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is what I grew up with. The Pac-12 has been around for over a hundred years. The rivalries are deep. There's a lot of teams in that conference that I love and hate at the same time, depending on you know the cyclical nature of college football. But the chance to be at the big boy table, if you will, is really impressive and much needed. Uh, Washington just got through hiring Jed Fish, as you guys mentioned. And the three coaches that were most linked to this are all from the Big 12. And that shows you the ability that Washington has, not only with the deep pockets of the donors, but it also shows you that the Big 12, which frankly should have been the one that disbanded, not the Pac-12, um, is going to be a place where coaches are going to be able to cut their teeth, but until things maybe even out a little bit, it's going to be the big 10 and the sec that are going to kind of have the pick of the litter when it comes to big 12 coaches that, you know, if you're a legacy guy, obviously that's a different story, but even look at what happened with Jonathan Smith as they were left out. Oregon state was uh, leaving your alma mater for Michigan state. So it's, it's, it's a, it's sad, but it's also, in this situation, you know, I love it. And it was, you know, it was really stupid that James Madison didn't have an opportunity to play in, you know, something like the Fiesta Bowl or something like that. And hopefully the NCAA and everybody, the conferences are able to try to figure out a way to make this more of a uh, a fan player and coach friendly system. But for what we have right now, I'm really happy to be in the Big Ten. Awesome. Well, well, Trevor, some analyst at ESPN or Fox or whoever is going to be covering the Big Ten next year is going to wonder why there's so many fans from Virginia tuning into the Washington Indiana game. And I can tell you, there's no group of fans uh, rooting for your program more than the purple and gold clad JMU fans. They'll probably be put up on a ticker in our stadium at some point. Uh, and go. I hope there's a lot more points on the Washington side than the Indiana side. So, um, again, thanks for for going outside and joining. Uh, Tell your family we appreciate you sharing some of your Sunday with us. And and seriously, all the best of your program. I uh, could not be more proud of what you guys did this year. And um, an amazing season. I know you won't be talking for for years and years to come. Well, I appreciate it. Go dogs and go Dukes. Awesome. Thanks again, Trevor. Talk to you soon. 
And with that, we're going to go back uh, to uh, one of our focuses all year has been on trying to give the voice to students as well um, as fans. And we checked in with Nate Hazen from the JMU SGA uh, a little earlier in the season as we start the second half of the school season uh, for JMU. We thought we'd bring in Nate to the discussion again. Nate, first of all, how was your break? Oh, uh, it was a whole lot of nothing, and that's about as best as it can be. So I am not complaining. I saw family on Christmas. Other than that, I slept, I ate, I worked out, watched movies. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well exactly. Nate, uh, first, first question for you. Obviously, there's been you know the, the football season that was you know was was great in generating a ton of buzz and attention uh, among the student population and students. We said showed up in in numbers we've never seen uh, and stayed for for you know longer at games than we ever even could have imagined even a year ago. Um, now the success of the men's basketball program really presents an opportunity for students, uh, as Coach Byington said on our episode last week, to really be the difference maker. Uh, two home games this week that are of significant importance um, for this program. Just your kind of thoughts as we start the second semester uh, on where you think students are at uh, and if they're recognizing the moment that they potentially have uh, to keep kind of this party going in terms of uh, a record-breaking year and a record-setting year for JMU Athletics and, and the students being a big part of that. Yeah, of course. Um, we are witnessing lightning that was stuck in a jar, at least that I've noticed since I've been here. You know, I'm a senior now that was stuck in a jar for years, finally be unleashed. And the greatest part about it is when we're in the stands of the football stands, basketball stands, what I hope to be, you know, soccer stands, our perennial field hockey team stands. Um, it isn't because of the record having a ranking is great and we the buzz behind having a perfect record and sign both college football and basketball has been amazing and the national like attention but it's because we love the team we love the school we love the sport and honestly just in general i don't it doesn't matter what it is um you give students at james Madison university an opportunity to come together and share an experience um they're gonna take it and there's just no better opportunity than sports, and especially when it's successful and exciting and we're playing with high stakes and we're playing rivals like App State. Like that is an amazing opportunity to come together. And so that's why I say, you know, we're, we're like you guys were talking about. We, we had a skid in basketball and, you know, you want to win. Everybody wants to win. You want that attention. You want that excitement. But really, I'm a glass half full guy and I can say the ranking's great. The perfect record is great, but that's not what we're there for. It's also been a privilege. Like a lot of us know the players personally to know them and get to know that they're human beings and watch them and just like root for them. I've had the opportunity to meet, come like know some of them as friends and just like root for them as human beings is just like a privilege for a student. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, we're there for them. We're there for each other. We're there for the university. If we win amazing, you know, that just makes it even more exciting. But if we lose terrible, doesn't change how much we love it. And that's just been like, that's just what being a JMU Duke is all about. And to watch it just be applied to sports this past year, it's like finally we're getting the credit that's due for how amazing this campus is and how amazing this student body is, you know? So I, I, amazing question. <laughs> no, and, and you hit on a couple of points I was going to ask you about. Um, you know, one thing that every – alum of, of not just Jamie, but, it, but any school where their student section is known as something to be feared, 
by opponents and something that's a once in a lifetime experience to enjoy as an, an attendant. Um, you know, you only have those few years in school to be a student in the student section. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, every now and again, you, you, you get the, uh, you know, the guy that graduated a few years ago but wants to sneak down there and there and kind of relive the glory days. But, um, you know, there, there's really two things kind of going on at any men's or women's basketball game at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. You have um, <laughs> lights went out. Yeah, you, have the, right uh, <laughs> you, you have the um, you know, the game itself, which is entirely between the players, their opponent and the coaches. But then there's almost this second activity, you know, some call it the sixth man, right? That's in the stands. And I would like to think that students kind of have this uh, feeling of ownership of like, that's our student section. That's what we're known for. That's our reputation. So wins and losses on the court, we can't control, but we can control being known as just one of the most electric, exciting atmospheres in college basketball. So, with that being said, do you feel like that sense of ownership is inside a, a portion of the JMU student body? And how do you think, um, you know, are there platforms like ours? Are there things that maybe JMU Sports Marketing, if, if they had a chance to, they were watching tonight and had to hear, what are some things that they, us, they, anyone can do to kind of expand that sense of ownership of win, lose, or draw this is our student body. This is our house. And this is going to be an atmosphere that people are going to want to come see, not just the game, but to experience what it means to be in that arena. Yeah. I'll comment on a couple things of that. Um, one, you mentioned like, Hey, there's always that guy like five years down the road sneaks in the student section uh, in real the glory days. Uh, I welcome that person because in five years I will be that person. Uh, so that's totally fine. If you're out there, please, you know, um, and I'm very glad you mentioned student sections and you brought up the word electric because Mr. Brown, I don't know if you remember, but the last time I was here, we had a brief conversation at the end of things about the reignition of the electric zoo of some sort. And, you know, Rome was not built in a day and it is a process, but vacation or winter break wasn't all just vacation for me. I had a lot of time to think on things. And I even met with members of the student Duke club um, to plot out, how does this work? How will this go? Um, And kind of speaking specifically on the electric zoo in JMU basketball games. And we can do as many things as we can advance um, what is already advancing, which is we could have promos. We could have, for instance, I'm working on making a banner that says welcome to the zoo and, and plopping it over the rail um, and working student do club, club with what promos, what shirts are they going to bring? Is it going to mention things? And like they're doing amazing things, working with different social media sites. Um, but we are accelerating something that I already know with confidence is coming to fruition because sports, no matter, I don't, no matter what, size or form it takes whether it be the electric zoo or again this has brought on an unspoken bond between sports brings an unspoken bond between students it's like when it's like you feel more of a tribe you know i don't know who you are but you were in those stands for that saturday game with me and we can bond over that because it feels like we have something to protect now that we have a reputation that we have a responsibility and an aura to protect the students here and then it's important that we take pride as students. And like sports is like the battleground for those things. And it like naturally 
forces you basically to form this kind of bond, usually in a student section. So it's like we can manipulate and artificially like advance like the electric zoo coming into being, which I am a full on believer that it will at some point. Hopefully, I believe this year, maybe the title isn't there, but it is. You see that student section, you saw how it was on App State. That will only increase. And it's like we can advance that with whatever we want, but it's coming into fruition because that's just what our campus is. That's what we'd like to do. I'll just repeat my final things. I'll just repeat what I said. You give JMU Dukes the opportunity to come together and share an experience together. We will take it. And sports is just the perfect opportunity. Oh man, Phil, Phil, don't call me Mr. Brown. Please call me Steve because good gotcha, Steve. <laughs> it's all good. Feel free to take any of the ideas that we used back in the day. We used to bring the breeze with us. Um, and so what we would do is when they would start to announce the other team, we would hold the paper up so that it would so we didn't pay attention to it. And then when they had announced a player, we'd yell, Who cares? Who's that? You know, we we'd we'd have a blast. So do whatever you want and have some fun with it. Um, you guys are already rocking in there, which is fun. It's so loud when you guys are there. Um, my question for you is, are you guys going to be able to keep that up and go to, you know, women's basketball games and softball games and lacrosse games and, and kind of keep that whole momentum going up? Because I know those games are a little different, um, but they're still, they, they love having you in the stands. And I think the more students that we can, we can bring to those games, the more appreciative all those folks are. Cause like you said, a bunch of them are your friends of yours. So is there any effort do you think to kind of be pushing all those games and all those events to be able to go to? That's the absolute dream, you know, and I, I've had conversations, not just with like members of athletics, but just conversations with people in Jamie administration, the student government, um like that's the dream we want this to spread and it's like i was thinking about in here like basketball and football obviously are just different beasts but we are we have been so amazing in other sports um so well, the ones you mentioned soccer softball uh women's lacrosse and it's like we want this to happen. Nobody's like, all right, well now that football and basketball pass it's like this is something that spreads. It's contagious. This spirit is contagious. And it's, if I, to answer your question directly, do I think that it is something that will carry over? If I know my student body, it will. Um, and like I said, it takes time. It takes process. We are only going to grow into this national stage, this aura of being a sports school and everything school, um, athletics-focused school. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to be walking across the stage, but you're all alumni. You know, that affiliation and loyalty does not end. It certainly won't for me. And this is a shameless plug, but I've gone to so many people and the football staff, athletics, even administration being like, I don't know what my future holds, but there was a spot on the football front office. I drop everything and do it because not just for the money, it's because something amazing is about to happen there. and It is happening and I want to be a part of it. I still want to be a part of this university. I'm not the only one feeling that way. Like this is something you want to hold on to because it's so special. Um, and that's going to carry over into all these sports. And I know personal, this isn't just my own hypothetical. I know people, this is something we talk about. We want this to grow. We want to share this experience with other deserving student athletes and all the other sports. They deserve to have that fan base behind them because it makes a humongous impact. And I think you all do a very, very good job of proving that and exemplifying that. Well, Nate, I could say your, your passion and your, your energy reminds me of some, some people that are not only on this podcast, but um, some fans like the, the Eric Pitzers, the Zach Prices of the world, um, you know, people who were 
in your seat trying to make a difference on campus who who took that energy and passion and now fuel their fandom going forward. So, you, hey, you could you could be hosting a podcast on a Sunday night like us <laughs> some days. Lots of different ways um, you can get involved as, as an alum and, and just really grateful for what you're doing as a student to um, to help as a part of the SGA and, and leadership to to drive your student body towards making an impact. Um, just know we're rooting you on, and, and we want to wish you all the best as you go through your, your last semester at JMU. Um, soak in every moment, man, and, and we hope to see you at some games uh, as we go throughout the rest of the season. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I love how you guys, I think you're expanding. I'm in a club. Shout out. It's called Talking Sports JMU. This is our student body for y'all. Uh, it's one of my favorite clubs. And the goal of the club is to talk about sports. Shout out Johnny. He's listening to this. He's the president of the club. He does an amazing job. Uh, and it's just like, it's just how sports bond. And that's from a student's perspective. I know how you all do an amazing job letting alumni and students come together over the topic of sports and an amazing job you do with this podcast. So I'm excited to see it grow. I know it will, and it'd be awesome to watch. And I'm relishing the opportunity somehow, some way to come back on here again. Uh, being on here twice is already a humbling experience. So thank you all. Careful, so much. careful what you wish for, because we're going to give you a mic. Well, you could be another student correspondent. So lots of ways to get you involved. Um, but seriously, tell the, all the best to your club. And uh, Nate, you, trust me, this is not the last time you'll be on, no doubt. Oh, awesome. I'm, I'm humble. Thank you all so much. Thanks, all right? buddy. Enjoy the rest of the semester. We'll talk to you soon. And, and with that, we'll bring back our co-host for our final guest of the night. As uh, a lot of attention been on not only the men's basketball team, but the women's basketball team as well. Uh, and we thought there was no better person out there than uh, a former JMU player, former coach on the women's side, uh, somebody who uh, had a nice little professional career as well in the basketball ranks. Um, Ian Caskell. Ian, uh, thanks for taking some of your Sunday to uh, spend with us here on Jamie Soundoff. I know we've been talking a lot offline over the weeks uh, prior to this, trying to get you on. Um, for, for those who may not be familiar with, with your background, your story, uh, we'd like to give every one of our, our JMU guests an opportunity to uh, tell their JMU story before we get into the maybe the X's and O's of what, what's happening on the court. Um, so introduce yourself and, and uh, your JMU story. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Nate, Nate did a great job. He's a tough follow here. So I'm going to try to, um, you know, match his energy and passion. But, um, you know, I, I attended Jamie from 99 to 03. Uh, grew up in Virginia Beach, born and raised. Um, got recruited by Old Dominion pretty hard out of high school. Both both parents were alums. But um, I took an official visit to JMU, um, homecoming weekend of my senior year in high school. And uh, as you guys all know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's a tough place to beat on homecoming weekend. So um, committed on the spot. And, um, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, through all the distractions, finally um, got my career together, had, had a decent little uh, end of my run there, senior year, and then ended up in Europe for 13 years, um, played professionally there. Um, Sean O'Regan was a good friend of mine in college. We were, we were both sports management majors. He was the uh, – manager of the team when I played on the men's team and uh, we stayed in touch and, you know, eventually he got the head, head women's job and um, I kind of called him joking around and said, you know, why don't you, why don't you hire me? And then he, he was like, well, do you want to, you want to be my assistant coach? I was like, sure. Um, packed up, moved on my stuff from France and ended up in Harrisonburg for six years. So that's the, uh, that's the quick, uh, quick rundown on my end. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and brag on Ian a little bit uh, because despite him checking all three boxes of being a former player, playing professionally and coaching at JMU, um, I actually had the privilege of uh, 
I shouldn't say of knowing Ian, but knowing of Ian as uh, we we both went to the same high school. We were about four or five years apart. Um, I'm going to shout out to my buddy, Mike Davis, who's probably going to watch this at some point. And uh, when I told him I've reconnected with, with Ian Caskill, he, he, thought it was pretty cool because the two of us uh went to some of the cox high school basketball camps back in the day and and they would have some of the players coaching and ian was just i mean he was a big name in in virginia beach at the time i know he's gonna play down this but it was it was really exciting to when he did get recruited jmu and to be able to follow him from that because i myself grew up going to a lot of old dominion basketball games just living in that area and uh ian was going to a jmu team that was you know, coming out of the 90s there where, you know, not making the NIT or the NCAA was considered uh, a bad year. And so um, I'm really excited to have Ian on here. I'm excited that when I saw him come back to campus as a coach. And so all of that to be said, um, Ian, our, our basketball coverage uh, on the podcast, you know, it gets in that gray area where you're trying to cover basketball, football at the same time. And obviously, uh, there was a lot of postseason football coverage that we had to squeeze into some of these podcasts. So one thing that we really haven't um, dug deep into is JMU women's basketball program right now. Um, they were preseason picked uh, to win the Sun Belt. They were first place in the Sun Belt up until yesterday. I know they lost to Troy in a close one there. I, I'm not sure of the standings where that falls right now, but I mean, this is still a JMU women's basketball team. I mean, at JMU, the, the, the standard, the, the bar is so high for, for women's basketball. It's almost like the conference championship appearance is a must. Um, winning the conference is almost the next given. And so uh, talk us, to us a little bit about what fans who maybe aren't paying attention to the JMU women's team as much and, and should, what should they be looking for? Um, kind of how's their season going and, and where are some of their you know pitfalls with some of the close losses they've had this year? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, when when I first arrived on campus, and I didn't know much about women's basketball before I got into it. You know, um, I just was a guy who grew up playing basketball, loved basketball, and um, you know, Sean gave me the opportunity, and I, I learned a lot about it. And you know, Coach Brooks, Kenny Brooks, was this is a coach on the men's side for my first three years at JMU before moving over to the women's team, and um, you know, he built something very very special and uh we we talked a lot sean sean o'regan and i our first year um how it's it's one of the toughest things to walk into a situation <laughs> as a new first year head coach um to live up to those expectations that, that are set right and um i think sean's done a great job in his what's that eight years now that he's been there um bunch of bad luck uh early on um with some postseason stuff but um got it together last year. So uh, shout out to him, first of all. Um, I watch and observe the women's team because I have, you know, a bunch of contacts that are still there. I think there's five or six players that I personally recruited still on the team. And Sean and I are good friends. We, we talk on the phone, you know, uh, once every couple of weeks for 30, 45 minutes, usually while he's driving somewhere to, to go recruiting and board. But, um, you know, I, I'm still involved. I don't, I don't watch every single minute of every game. But um, I think I have a pretty good feel. Um, and, you know, year in, year out, it's tough to live up to those expectations, right? It's a lot of pressure. You got to bring in the players. Um, I think he's done a great job so far this year. I, I, I did watch that, I believe it was Toledo, one of the first games of the season that kind of blew one at home. Unfortunate, but um, bounce back. I think they're 4 and 1 in conference now, uh, right at the top of the standings. Just lost to Troy, which is. 
you know, I've never personally been to Troy, Alabama, but I imagine, um, you know, it's a tough place to play <laughs> um, out in the middle of nowhere and uh, a, a very tough road trip from Harrisonburg. So, um, you know, no, no shame in that loss. And uh, you know, I know they have two home games coming up that they're looking, looking forward to bouncing back with. Well, and as a coach from the prep time, I mean, how hard would it be to the, the Thursday, Saturday road trip where you're having and, and these aren't you're not traveling down the road to Richmond, Virginia or Norfolk. I mean, you're you're a ways away. I mean, that's got to play into some of the, the preparedness and just the wear and tear on the on the athletes. It, it's tough. I mean, that's a long trip um, where they go. Hattiesburg, Mississippi, before going to Detroit, Alabama, turn around, you know, less than 48 hours later, playing another game. Right. These, um, you know, you play a seven o'clock start time uh, on a Thursday night, get back to the hotel, maybe 10 p.m. You're watching tape for a few hours. Whoever, whatever says the coach has the next game is up watching the game that they just, you know, the opponent just played, breaking down film. And then basically you have that Friday in between to, first of all, prep the head coach on what's happening, what you've seen as a sister coach, and then preparing the team with one, you know, real practice and maybe a walkthrough on the day of the game to, to go through the, uh, the scout report. So the, the, the two games of three days, that's a really tough schedule. We did it in the CAA. Um, it was a Friday, Sunday trip, but, but same type of deal. And, um, those second games on the road on a long road trip are, are always tough, whether it's a good team or a bad team. And, and one last question before I throw it to Steve, and I, I do want to transition to the men's team real quick. Um, and we talked a little bit about this, the pregame, Talk about, um, you know, I, I know you're not a player or coach on this current team, so I'm not asking you to speak for anyone on it, but maybe more just you have a perspective that fans that have never played the game at this level or have never coached the game at this level have. And, you know, this team comes out red hot. They're 14-0. and And now these last two games, they're 1-2, they're and two, specifically their first loss at Southern Miss. That's a good Southern Miss team, but compared to the other – competition they had faced earlier in the season that is a game they they really should have won and um you know playing a team like app state at home app state had a great win against auburn earlier this year the second highest ranked sunbelt team but that's another game where statistically we were favored and for good reasons how as a coach and a player do you think you kind of mentally take on this second half of the season knowing that kind of the competitive advantage you had up until two weeks ago has kind of gone and now you're really right there with every other team chasing that championship. Sure. I mean, the, the thing about it is when you're had the success that, that JMU's had um, up to this point, that they have a target on their back every single game, right? Um, every team in conference is jealous that they're in the top 25. Um, everybody's coming after them. They're going to get everybody else's best shot. And, you know, keeping up that um, focus – day in and day out is not the easiest you know college football is a little bit different uh you play one game every week on saturdays uh, what is it 11 12 regular season games whatever it is um and it's a little bit easier to go undefeated i mean i might be wrong about this i think the last undefeated college basketball team was indiana in 1975 1976 so you're not gonna you're not gonna run the run the table um that way i'm gonna spin it and say you know maybe it's a good thing for this team that to lose a couple of games right now at this point in the season, go through a little bit of adversity, um, get back on track and make a nice run here to, to finish out the regular season and be ready for the tournament, right? Um, never, 
couple opportunities um, playing in France to be on some really good teams um, where we ended up winning the championship. But we always dropped a game or two um, at some point when the season was dragging to a team that we should have beat. And that's that's really the nature of basketball um, all said and done. You know, it's frustrating as fans to, to see that and hear that. But, uh, you know, some days you're going to do everything right. The ball's not going to go in the rim. Some days the ref's not going to blow the whistle when, when you think they should. And uh, that's the name of the game, right? Coach Bynton's going to get him to bounce back and, and be ready to go for the, the stretch run here, I believe. Yeah, I mean, Virginia's on a four-game losing stretch um, out on the uh, on the traveling circuit, and their coach today put out a nice um, – kind of a nice tweet. It's what he told the guys last night, which I thought was interesting, and it would apply to our team. He talked really about culture and character, and he said, you know, it's all well and good when we're winning. How are you going to react now that we're not? And, you know, are we going to work as hard on Monday? Are we going to come back? Are we going to pull ourselves out of this? I mean, they're, I think they're 11 and five. They're not terrible, um, but they've lost four in a row on the road. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think our guys are kind of going through the same thing. And you're right. It's, it's normal. I mean, this is, this is normal what happens. We weren't going to go undefeated. I mean, I think Houston lost last night again. I mean, somebody, I think somebody else was up. There was a couple upsets last night, so it just happens. I'm going to talk to you about Europe because I, I kind of want people to get a flavor for where you were, you know, how it kind of changed you living in Europe. Um, my daughter lived over there for a bit, and I know you were, I think you were in Cannes. Isn't that where your team was? It's in Cannes? My last um, three years, yep. Mm-hmm. Very close to a town called Bayeux. And for those people that are, I know this is not a history deal, but it's in the Normandy region, so there was a battle. Con. So I was going to let you talk a little bit about what you learned living in Europe, because I think if everybody has a chance and you can live abroad, it really, in my mind, broadens out your horizon. But wanted to hear from you of what you know, what you learned living over there, and and wh- how much fun it was, and if it was fun, and just kind of give us some insight. Yeah, sure. Thanks for the question, Steve. Um, you're one for two on your French pronunciations. I don't want to be a, a, a language snob. Con is perfect. Everybody calls it calls it can. Um, it's Cannes, the city in the south where the film festival is. That is Cannes. Um, Bayeux is the is the proper uh, pronunciation, but you were very close. Uh, I did close. live in I lived in France for eleven years. I I, I have dual citizenship. I, I, I'm bilingual, so um, wanted to congratulate you on your pronunciation. First of all, um, I love. I've always loved World War II history for some reason. Uh, both my grandfathers were in World War II. Always been a you know huge history buff in that. I like to tell people I know, you know, outside of history professors, I say I'm right up there with like people with knowledge of World War II. Um, so living in Normandy, uh, specifically my last three years in France, um, it was awesome. And, um, you know, I've probably been to Omaha Beach and the American Military Cemetery there, you know, nine, ten times. It's moving every time. Um, it's it's a it's a special place. Uh, and I encourage everybody to get out there and uh, and check that part of, of the country out. It's a quick two-hour train ride from Paris. So um, if anyone is in France, you know, jump on up there and, and check it out. But, um, you know, culturally, it was a great experience. Um, I had no intentions of even moving back to the United States until uh, until Sean got the head coach of job at JMU. And, um, you know, I'm describe myself as semi-impulsive. I kind of just was like, oh, that sounds cool. Let's move. Uh, Let's move back to Harrisonburg from from Con, but um, you know, great experience, and I don't uh, rule out moving back at some point and, and living there. Um, you know, when, when I get a little older and retire at some some stage in life. Ian, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, first, just from your perspective, what 
do you think now with this the collective coaching staffs of men's and women's basketball um to go from the convocation center which which had charm um had a lot of history but to go now to uh what is obviously one of the the nicer new facilities in the country in the atlantic union bank center um what kind of impact that has made and what kind of impact it can potentially make going forward um now the jmu is consistently starting to put some big crowds in uh particularly for some of these games like uh what we saw yesterday against uh app state what we had against uva um as this kind of basketball culture starts to to grow at jmu and the fan base um starting to embrace that that hey your fandom doesn't stop once football season ends yeah great question um it's it's funny i think it's a huge plus for the men's side um we could fill that place up get more and more people in there get it rocking um, I was at the UVA game with my son when we beat them. Um, the atmosphere was crazy. The atmosphere has been great for, for a multitude of games I've been to on the men's side. I think on the women's side, um, they've lost a little bit of that um, fan interaction. Um, it's, you know, it's a 9,000 seat stadium. For some reason, attendance is, is slightly down, it seems like, from the old convo where, you know, the women's program really made its mark. So I'd like to see more and more fans uh, involved on that side but it's a great selling point i know when i was coaching um when we were in the old convo we would show videos of what the new one's going to look like and sell that and then as soon as it was built that was the main selling point on the tours of campus you know check this place out it's one of the nicest arenas on the east coast and um you know we need to just keep filling that place up and, and keeping it rocking and, and then my final question, we, we had uh, Kurt D Dudley and David Taylor on last week just mm -hmm. talking about um, what a magical year it's been. I'm just curious from your perspective as um, an alum of the university, somebody who's coached, um, what this recent run of success uh, across the board, not just this season, but lacrosse's run, uh, the, the success of the soccer programs, um, just for you as a former student athlete, um, did you see this coming? Um, and, and what kind of impact do you think it's going to make on, on the future of this program as we continue to um, every year seemingly find uh, a new high bar mark where you know we're getting national attention uh, in multiple sports uh, and the potential long-term impact that has um, just a more students, more eyes uh, on our campus, uh, a place that we all have come to love uh, as more and more people understand what kind of a special atmosphere and special place JMU is. Sure. And uh, I listened to the episode last week and I'm going to kind of steal what Kurt said. I can't say that I saw it coming, but I'm not surprised. Right. Um, like when you visit campus, it, I'll use my experience as recruiting on the women's side. Um, you know, we would recruit against ACC schools. We recruit against Big E schools. And if we can convince a prospect to come to campus and see it in real life for themselves, um, we always had a shot with that person. Right. Because that place sells itself um, with the new arena, the new facilities, and all the success of the other sports. That just grows the whole program and makes everything, you know, easier to recruit across across all levels. So, um, you know, they're doing a great job. Coach Byington was was a perfect hire at the perfect time. I, I have a lot of um, I put a lot of time in watching him run practices. Um, pretty tight with with some of the members on the staff. Uh, you know, we talk regularly. I know what he's all about. It's it, and you know he's bringing this basketball program, football program into the top twenty-five at the same time is you know something that is remarkable. I used to you know tell people you know I'd, I'd be around and someone said, "Where did you did you play in college?" Like I played at JMU. Like oh, you guys played in the Final Four. Like no, that was George Mason, right? And that's happened more times than I care to uh, like to admit. But you know now it's it's you know. 
that's that's not the confusion anymore, right? It's uh, everybody knows JMU. We're a national story, and um, you know we got to keep working hard. I know the uh, Montpelier Collective is involved with this podcast, and I, it's a I think that's a super important organization. Uh, we got to get the money in there to you know maintain the success because that's uh, you know in this day and age with college sports that's a necessity. So um, everybody's got to go in the right direction. Whoever whoever replaces Jeff Bourne, you know, has big shoes to fill and uh, needs to keep this rolling uh, and, and keep it moving. Awesome. Well, Ian, uh, we appreciate your contributions to the program on multiple fronts, multiple times. Um, you helped to grow and, and advance this uh, institution into the future and just know it's appreciated. We say it to every former player and coach here. It's, it's because of what you did on the court uh, that gives us something to, to talk about and something to cheer about. So just uh, know it's appreciated and to all your teammates and, and the, the kids that you coach while on campus. Uh, it, it matters. Uh, and we're just grateful for your your sacrifice, sacrifices and contributions to the program as always. Uh, and we're excited that you're going to be joining us uh, a lot as we go throughout the remainder of basketball season to share your insights and uh, just know it's really appreciated. And, and uh, we'll, we'll give you back some of your Sunday night. All right. <laughs> Appreciate it. Really, really want to say uh, thank you guys for having me on. Love what you're doing. And, uh, you know, always here if you need me. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Talk thank to you soon. All right. And with that, we have a little bit of an abbreviated uh, final thoughts. It's just three of us. Um, so, gentlemen, another great episode. Great conversations uh, across the board from all of our guests. Uh, Taylor, go to you first. Uh, lots to possibly touch on uh, in the final thoughts. But uh, where's your head at as we uh, wrap another episode of, uh, of Sound Off on a Sunday night? Yeah, I'm going to kind of give a quick overview of both basketball programs and also get excited about looking forward to the spring season because we still have another season of Jamie sports to look forward to. Um, if I, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of repeating the same lines all over again uh, after we did in football season. But if I told you by mid season, the men's basketball team would be 15 and two at the win over Michigan state and having been ranked top 25 for the first half of the season, I mean, I think most people would say that's a best case scenario. What's tough to, you know, stomach being 15 and two right now is the way we've become 15 and two. We went 14 and 0, and then we've gone one and two in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, so I, there can be that visible frustration, but at the same time, we are very much in control and very much in a position to go down to Pensacola and 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 be the team that takes home the Sun Belt Championship and and gets a chance to go to March Madness for only the second time in about 20 years. Um, as for the women's program, um, I did double check myself when I was talking to Ian. So we are now in a three, three-way tie for second, you know, it's early in the conference season. So a gamer here, make or make or breaks kind of, you know, jumping all over the, 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 uh, the standings. And so the, the women's team, actually, let me Sunbelt women's basketball, unlike Sunbelt men's basketball has a very high conference net ranking. I mean, they are a top 10 basketball conference in women's basketball so um the women still have a lot of good games on their schedule that will continue to elevate their net and then when you're talking about uh postseason play you know i, I think obviously they're going to be the favorites to win the championship but um when you're looking at an at-large possibility or possibly even a berth in the wnit you know you have two teams here that statistically right now will be playing basketball in march and that's a really exciting thing to say for jamie basketball and as we look forward to this spring season, I mean, you got sports like you have women's lacrosse, which has become a perennial power over the last couple of decades, and obviously the national championship a couple of years ago. Um, you have a softball team that's only a couple of years removed from the College World Series. 
And then you have a baseball team, you know, the Sunbelt Baseball League, people throw around the term P5 in a lot of sports. Sunbelt Baseball is a P5 conference when it comes to baseball. I mean, Sunbelt Baseball is a top five conference, and you could have a team be in the top 100 and still not be in the top eight or top 10 of your conference. It's that good. So I think just, you know, kind of uh, state of the athletic program to say is, we're in a very good position. We're in a much better position than we probably thought we were when we were going to start the season. Uh, there is still so much to look forward to in these next coming months. We're going to have spring football. Uh, we're, uh, for, for better or for worse, uh, I, the, the transition of an athletic director that I, I, I still, um, you know, the, the shoes that are going to be there to fill by, by that new person are, are going to be incredibly large, but we're going to be, Jeff Bourne is going to be handing over an athletic department, which, like Ian said, uh, a lot of people probably couldn't have imagined at the time, but aren't surprised that it's gotten to this point. And uh, so, you know, enjoy the smack talk on social media. Um, you know, it is hard when you lose a game like you did Saturday to a team like App State. But um, I, I think the energy and passion that Nate brought in just saying, we're in everything school. We are running on all cylinders right now. Things have never been as good holistically for JMU as an athletic program, as a university. Um, it's a it's a good time to be a Duke, and I'm just excited that our our platform has grown to the point where we can have any kind of impact or influence on that at all. Awesome. Great comments, Steve. Your final yeah, thoughts. I'm gonna, yeah, a couple things. I um so for on the basketball side, this week we've got a double header. Um, we've got the men are home against ULM on Thursday. The women are home against Georgia Southern Saturday. We're home against Marshall and Saturday, the women have ODU. Um, so there's not a whole lot to do in Harrisonburg in January when it's cold. Um, so there's plenty of partying I know you can do, but you can do it after these games. So come into these games, go for a double header, have some fun. Um, after that, the men traveled ODU on the 24th and then are at App State on the 27th. The women still have a four-game homestand. They're home next week on the 24th against Marshall, and then they're home against App State on the 27th. So if you can't go down to Boone, um, then definitely go to the women's game uh, because one way or another, we need a double App State win that day, um, and I think we're probably going to get it. Uh, so we'll go down to Boone, we'll smack them in Boone, and then the women can smack them at home. Um, so come out and support those folks. Um, the other thing I want to throw out, and I'm not going to do my wrestling thing, but on a serious note, while we were on, um, I just I heard on Twitter, I saw on Twitter, um, that Jeff Jones, the coach at ODU, is on a medical leave for the rest of the uh, semester. His uh, prostate cancer is back. So he's recovering from a heart attack that he had in Hawaii, I think when they were playing in Hawaii, and his prostate cancer is back. And, you know, prayers go out to him. Um, you know, as much as we have rivals out there, these are, you know, human beings that we all know. These are fun folks. These are people that we live, live with, have gone to school with um, and want the best to happen for uh, for Jeff and his family. And I met Jeff back in 1981, um, back in the world when I was working at the McDonald's at Barracks Road for the owner of the McDonald's franchise, who's a huge UVA alum. And he had me train uh, Jeff Jones. Um, and how to work the grill at McDonald's and Barracks Road. I'm not sure Jeff ever showed up for another shift. Maybe he did. Um, but he was a wonderful young man at that point. Now he's he's a little bit older than me. So, you know, prayers out to him and his family and the whole OD, ODU, the Monarch Nation. Um, you know, 
nobody wants anything like that to happen. And, and we hope that Jeff recovers and Jeff's doing fine. So just wanted to put that out there as the human touch of what we do. Awesome. Thanks, guys. As always, great episode. Thank you to our guests um, for enriching this conversation and their perspective. As always, it's what makes this show uh, special, and we are appreciative of all the people that give us time each and every Sunday. And with that, um, thank you to our sponsors. As always, Montpelier Collective, Skyline Financial. If you're somebody out there who is interested in getting a chance at that coach experience, MontpelierCollective.com. Get your tickets. No limit uh, on the number of uh, raffle tickets you can buy to have a chance to win um, that experience for two people, as Coach Byington mentioned last week. Um, plug real quick for our sound off store. We put out some new, uh, merchandise this week, uh, give you an opportunity to rep the everything school. Um, so if you're somebody looking for some everything school gear, um, have it on the screen right now. You can get a chance to get that at jmusoundoff.com. Uh, appreciate. We saw some orders come in today, uh, never taking for granted, uh, your support of our merch. It's great to see it out. Um, whether it's at Bridgeforth uh, or seeing it at the AUBC. We saw some shirts this weekend. Um, just know it's appreciated. And with that, we'll end tonight's episode. We'll see you next week. And as always, go Dukes. Jamie Soundoff, appreciate your support, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>